What is going on? Welcome to the Land Podcast. If you're part of the 5am club, I apologize. I'm a little late here with this upload. I was indeed up and rocking, but unfortunately I've been really busy here the last week, was tied up most of the weekend and did not get an opportunity to record this episode until right now. So this is the quarter one update for the Land Podcast. And so I'm just going to give some news, some insights, and my general opinion of where we're at right now and uh, maybe where we're going to be going in the future. This is clearly just my opinion, so take it for what it is. want to say thanks to everyone that has been tuning in here on the show. We had multiple first-time land buyer uh, folks added to the spreadsheet last week, had the ability to be involved in some transactions, and want to say thanks to those folks that believed in my assistance in helping them purchase their first farm. So rewarding. That's why I started this podcast, and every time I get an opportunity to do that, I am so thankful. So if you're brand new here to the show, real quick, the goal is to help 100 people buy their first piece of land. Number one, if you're in the state of Illinois and I can assist you as a buyer's agent or help you find a parcel, let me know. More than happy to help. Number two, if you want to get connected with someone I would personally do business with across the country, I will be happy to do so. If I don't know anyone over there, I'll tell you. And number three, if you just simply learn something from the show you want to let me know, I would greatly appreciate it. We'll get you added to the spreadsheet or cruising along. Um, I know we're right around that 50 mark, maybe a touch over. I'd have to double check the spreadsheet. So just want to say thanks to everyone. And let's get into the quarter one update for the land podcast. Now to get started, some of this information is from an email subscription service called the Van Trump Report. And I have subscribed to it. And there were a lot of just really great news. Um, I feel it's kind of challenging to stay up to date and current with everything going on in the world, but sends an email every morning at 5.30 a.m. and gives you the news. And so in that is a lot of business, a lot of stock market, a lot of real estate, and then a lot of agricultural news as well. So I want to give full credit for some of these points that were brought through that newsletter. So number one, <clears throat> this was done, I think, last week. And so this is some wise economic advice. And the theory or consensus of this is in economics, things take longer to happen than you think they will. And then they happen faster than you thought they could. I don't know how things play out this time around, but I remember back to previous crashes. It took a long time to play out and then it all happened at once. That was a snippet from the Van Trump report. So think of that in the back of your mind. It takes a long time for it to happen. And when it does, it happens fast. So I feel that there's some validity to that statement to where we're at today. And Take it for what it's worth. All right, now let's get into the next piece. This is about residential properties, but I think it transpires to what we're seeing in the recreational land market currently. So existing home prices have fallen slightly from a year ago levels, but new listings remain scarce. There were 980,000 units available for sale at the end of February, up from February 2020's scarce supply of 850,000, but significantly below the February historic average of roughly 2.15 million. Early data from Redfin shows that homeowners' reluctance to sell may have continued into March. The number of new listings during the four-week period ended March 19th, which was 22% lower than one year prior. In the meantime, new homes could absorb some of that demand. About one in four for-sale homes right now is new. That share is normally closer to one in 10. So I'll tell you this. What I'm seeing here in Illinois a lot of the smaller type properties are still selling pretty quickly. However, there's still just very limited inventory across the board. And that is certainly, I feel, keeping prices pretty stabilized because of there's still demand 
almost no supply. And I think it'll be interesting. That first statement that we talked about of how long it takes and then how quick it happens is kind of in the back of my mind. I don't know what that relationship of, of influx or what, what that means for exactly for recreational land. But I think there's a lot of truth to that because it's felt very interesting is the best way I can say it, which I know is not a good way to, to describe something, but that's what I'll say. And I think that interest rates obviously increasing is making an impact. I think that commodity prices have gone down here a little bit. And I think that has people looking at things a little bit differently. And I think we just have to see and uh, where we're at. But I will say this, if you are a buyer right now, I would still be looking. And if you find something that checks off the boxes that's within your budget, buy it. I don't think you need to be scared. You know where you're at financially. Don't overextend yourself. And it's almost impossible to time the market. So don't think that you're some savant that's going to figure out exactly when to buy and find the perfect property at the perfect time. There's some things that happen that may feel like that, and that's great. But in reality, make a plan, execute the plan, and keep on moving forward. Now, this is about Bank of America. They're warning investors, and this is pretty interesting. We talk about all the different commodities that get really hot. Obviously, land was really on fire the last two years. But now there is a new hot asset class, and we're going to talk about it right now. So according to Bank of America analysts led by Michael Hartnett, Another bubble has emerged courtesy of the bank sector crisis. Harnett and the team say money market funds are the new hot asset, pointing out that assets under management for money funds have now exceeded $5.1 trillion, up over $300 billion over the past four weeks. They also counted the biggest weekly flows to cash since March 2020, the biggest six-week inflow to treasuries ever. The last two times money market funds assets surged in 2008 and in 2020, the Federal Reserve slashed interest rates. Harnett is fond of the saying, markets stop panicking when central banks start panicking. And he noted a surge in emergency Fed discount window. Borrowing has historically occurred around a big stock market low. There is one difference this time in that inflation is a reality and that labor markets, not just in the U.S., but in other industrialized nations remain exceptionally strong. History, according to the Bank of America team, says to sell the last interest rate hike, credit and stock markets are too greedy for rate cuts, not fearful enough of recession. They say, after all, when banks borrow from the Fed in emergency, they tighten lending standards, which in turn results in less lending, and that leads to less small business optimism, which eventually cracks the labor market. Investors should sell equities after the last rate hike over the negative impact of higher employment. Harnett said, it's now longer than normal bear market, but policy intervention meant stocks have not priced in a large slump, and the biggest bull market recoveries occur only after the biggest declines. So that's a lot. I would probably, if you don't follow that, go back and listen to that again because there's a lot to that, and I think the basically people are, are putting a lot of money into money market funds and not elsewhere. I think interest rates increasing have has greatly impacted people spending uh their dollars on land and there's there's um a guy named ben mala he's really funny he's a big dude from florida and he owns a ton of real estate and he was talking about how you can't go buy a multifamily or go buy an eightplex or go buy a farm at seven percent interest when the cap rate should be seven percent so basically that's what your return should be so that means you're basically just paying the bank and not making any money and you're, you're betting only on appreciation. So I think that has something to do with it. 
there's still obviously a lot of cash out there and I think it has been filtered into that location of um, money market funds. So hopefully that makes a little bit of sense. I'm far from an economic, <laughs> economic uh, mind. I just find some of this stuff pretty interesting. And if I only know 1% more than what I did the day before, then I'm doing all right. So talking about labor markets though, this is very interesting. A article stated the surprising link between unemployment and recessions. The U.S. labor market is having a strong start to 2023, adding 500,000 non-farm payrolls in January and 311,000 in February. Both figures surpassed analyst expectations by a wide margin. And in January, the unemployment rate hit a 53-year low of 3.4%. With recent release of February numbers, unemployment is now reported at slightly higher 3.6%. A low unemployment rate is a classic sign of a strong economy. However, as the visualization shows, unemployment often reaches a, a silical low point right before a recession materializes. So why do recessions tend to begin after unemployment bottoms out? The economic cycle refers to the economy's natural tendency to fluctuate between periods of growth and recession. This can be thought of similarly to the four seasons in a year. An economy expands in spring, reaches a peak in the summer, begins to contract in fall, then hits a, hits a trove in winter. So with this in mind, it's reasonable to assume that a silical low in the unemployment rate, peak unemployment, is simply a sign that the economy has reached a high point. So they had a chart there to show kind of the market trends of where unemployment was at and then obviously where the economy was too. So just another another thing to put in the back, back of your pocket as you're just thinking um, with what's going on in the world. Here's another fun thing to check in on. Top 10 largest farmland owners in the U.S. in 2023. Farmland has gotten a lot more attention. Land has gotten a lot more attention. And some of these names you'll know. Some of them you probably won't. So number one is obviously Bill Gates. He currently owns 242,000 acres of farmland in 18 different states. Interesting enough, the top states that he has holdings in is Louisiana with 69,000 acres, Arkansas with 48,000 acres, and Nebraska with 20,000 acres. So buying farmland hasn't been the sole way Gates has supported agriculture in 2010, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation allocated $306 million in grants to aid high-yield sustainable farming for farmers with smaller lots in the Sahara Desert in Africa and in South Asia. The foundation has also funneled money into research and development of so-called super crops that are able to be flourished even during climate change. So pretty interesting. I would say he has the number one spot by quite a bit. The next one's Ted Turner, who is best known as the founder of CNN. He owns 17 ranches, 14 in Western states, and three in Argentina. And let's see, he owns ground in Nebraska, Kansas, Montana, South Dakota, New Mexico, and then obviously Argentina. He Turner has made a mission to promote ecology, sustainability, and also joined in Warren Buffett and Bill Gates' pledge to donate the majority of their fortune to charity upon passing. He has ranches with 45,000 bison. Pretty cool. And next one is Stuart and Linda Resnick. They started in the 1970s. It was actually pretty cool. And they now own 192,000 farmland acres in California and Texas. They basically bought a distressed fruit farm. And that was the start in their springboard. And since then, they've uh, amassed a lot of land. So, the com so they own... A company called The Wonderful Company, it's worth $4.2 billion. The company produces a long list of high-quality, healthy products such as Wonderful Halos, Mandarins, so like those little cutie things that come in a bag, Wonderful Pistachios, Wonderful Almonds, Fiji Water, and Palm Wonderful 100% pomegranate juice on their acreage. Pretty interesting. 
Next one is the Offit family. They got started in 1960. Potato farmers, they own 190,000 acres in North Dakota. That is crazy. Next one is the Fanjul family. They own 152,000 acres in South Florida. The Boswell family owns 150,000 farmland acres in Central California Valley. Stan Kroenke, hopefully said that correctly. He, let's see, he has interest in the Denver Nuggets and Los Angeles Rams. Owns 124 acres and 124,000 acres in Montana. Galen Lawrence Jr., 115,000 acres across America, and he has primary holdings in Illinois, Arkansas, Mississippi, and Missouri. The Simplot family, let's see, in 1968, Luck and Smart Thinking came across when he signed a contract with McDonald's owner Ray Kroc to be their source for frozen French fries. <laughs> Crazy. And so they own 82,000 uh, acres in Idaho and Washington. And then John Malone, who was the CEO of a company that sold AT&T for $50 billion. He owns 100,000 acres in Colorado, Wyoming, Maine, and New Mexico. So... Pretty, pretty interesting. A lot of those folks, I think the one that sticks out to me num- the most is number three, folks that bought in the 70s during uh, a distressed market, and they kept doing that, and people were eager to sell. So keep that in mind. Obviously, I'm not going to say you're going to own 192,000 acres and own a $4.2 billion brand, but you may have a better land holding than what you could ever imagine by being patient, strategic, and thoughtful with what you're doing. So that is it for a quarter one update. I would say the market here where I'm at, I would say was pretty flat. I would say January was still climbing. February, there was some really strong sales. March felt like it was starting to soften. And I think that trend will probably continue for a while. Uh, just my guess. And then throughout the year, it's hard to say what's going to happen. But as a buyer right now, I'd be very excited. As a seller, I would also acknowledge that there's very limited inventory and if you are realistic and you want to sell it, I think we'll, we would be able to get it sold pretty promptly. There's a lot of good listings uh, from a variety of agents across the state that I see. And a lot of the good stuff sells pretty quick still. So that's great. That is it for now. I hope you guys have a great week. Quarter one's over. A quarter of the year's over. If you're not where, at, where you're at, if you're not where you want to be, make a plan. We have three quarters of the year left. That's it. Until next time, see ya.